testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. What I love about Abba is that Abba is a very intimate, personal relationship, a way of calling someone your father. That's like me walking up to Tim Hodge and saying, what's up, Pops? That's what I call my daddy. What's up, Pops? That's the same thing. It's intimate. Only that type of relationship is only formed through years of relationship, years of knowing one another, years of knowing what each other goes through and walks through. So when, when the Holy Spirit comes inside of us and cries out, Abba, Father, even if you aren't there on that type of relationship with him yet, you will be because the very Spirit of God is forming something in you. He's changing old habits. He's changing old behaviors. He's changing old passions because the beauty of it is this. Jesus does not call us to follow so that our behaviors change. He he does not call us so we change what we're doing or change what we're seeing. He comes so we can be fully transformed in our very being. So not only are you now trying to stay away from things you once did, you don't even have a desire or taste for things that you once did. And that is what Holy Spirit now does in us. And so now we don't have a spirit of fear. We're not scared of God. But now the very spirit who lives in us cries out, you are my father. You are my good dad. You only want good for me. You only want good for my life. And he he builds this up in us. And Galatians 4, 6 through 7 says this. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. It's the very spirit, the Holy Spirit, the one spirit. Scripture tells us there's one spirit. And that is the one who builds this, this up in us that confirms we are children. It's not through a mere proclamation of, yes, I believe in Jesus. It's through the very supernatural Holy Spirit who comes inside of you. That now, even when you don't feel like a son and daughter, that Holy Spirit still confirms you are a son and daughter. Because you may not feel new, you may not feel like a son and daughter, but it doesn't matter how you feel. Because you are not a, a physical being having a mere spiritual experience. You are a spiritual being having a physical flesh experience. While the flesh dies, the spirit remains so your feelings are fickle they will fade away but the spirit remains forever so you are fickle and frail because you will one day die but the very holy spirit the eternal spirit that lives inside of you cries out abba father even when you are broken and feel downcast even when you have failed and when you have fallen down the holy spirit inside of you still cries out abba father because a good father never turns his back on his children And a good father always calls the prodigal home. This very spirit inside of us is what scripture calls the seal of the Holy Spirit on our lives. What does that mean? What does that mean? When the father sees you, he sees his name upon you. You belong to the father. Romans 8 tells us there's nothing that can take you out of the hand of the father. Nothing on this earth nor nothing in the heavens can take you from the love of the father that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. And so the fact of the matter is there's nothing you can do to get away from Abba. You belong from, you belong to Abba. His very seal of his spirit is on you that says, my son, my daughter. So what does that mean? If I'm his son, Charlie, if you're his son, William, if you're his son, Wanda, if you're his daughter, Rhonda, if you're his daughter, Melody, if you're his daughter, what does that mean? You're my brother. You're my sister. We all have the seal of the Holy Spirit saying, hey, I belong to Abba. And if we all share the same father, what does that mean for us? We're brothers and sisters. We're family. Ephesians 2, 18 through 19. Ephesians 2, 18 through 19. For through him, Jesus, we both, talking about Jews and Gentiles, have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. 
Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. How much more could we be connected to one another than sharing the one spirit with the one Father who is through all and in all? How much closer could you and I be connected to one another than having the very same spirit as one another? This is why when we follow Holy Spirit, we end up making deeper relationships a lot of the time in the church we attend than our own blood relational families. Because I'm going to make a statement that some of y'all might not agree with. The Holy Spirit can connect us deeper than blood relations ever could. One day this fleshly body will die. There will be no remembrance of the lineage of Hodge on the earth. But forever the Spirit will remain. Forever we will be together one day, forever in eternity, we will be with one another as brothers and sisters when all things are made new. So the Spirit can connect us deeper than even blood relations can. Now, and as a parent, I say this as a parent of two little boys. I literally never imagined I could be connected to two humans more than I am with my sons. They are a part of me. They come from me. They are me. 50% of my DNA in both of those little boys, but I know that the Spirit is more transcendent and more eternal than any fleshly thing we could ever, ever experience on this earth. And this is why the early church was so powerful, was so interconnected with one another, because they understood it's through the one Spirit. Jesus said, did you think I came to bring peace? No, I came to divide households. He said two will be divided against three and three against two. Why? Because Jesus is so transcendent, so all-encompassing, that some family members may outcast you for believing. Those of us who know, you may say, hey, I'm a new creation of Jesus. And your blood relational family may say, huh, no, you are not. You are still the same person I've been having problems with since you were born. But your faith family can see you as a new creation that you are. This is a place for you to be the new creation that you are. It connects us deeper. It connects us more, more thoroughly than even blood relations can. The beauty of it is this, the fullness of what God has for us is meant to be experienced when we are connected in his church. And this, this, this is my problem in the American church a lot of times. We have made our faith so isolated. I'm, I'm going to say again, we, we think it's only when we're in our prayer closet can we hear from God. But actually in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, it was communal worship. It was corporate worship where the Holy Spirit fell. It was not you by yourself. And so in the American church, we've been taught to be so isolated. The American dream, me, mine, my four, no more. The rest of y'all, I'll show up at church and say good morning to you, but I'm not going to have anything to do with you throughout the week. Our faith was never meant to be isolated and individual. It was always meant to be shared and corporate. And so all of our instances where the Holy Spirit mightily filled people, it was never in moments of isolation. It was always two or more. Why? Because Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I shall surely be. And so why do we forsake the gathering of 70, 80 people where the Holy Spirit can come and just really fall on us? First off, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So he already dwells within us. But there's something so powerful when all the temples are united together in one spirit. When, we, when, when the individual members come together as one body. Fully connected, so the Holy Spirit flows and ebbs in between us and connects us 
and builds us up and does only what he can do in his church. And so it was in, it was in here, in the, in the midst of his church that he meant for us to experience the fullness of what he has for us. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. That does not sound like isolated and individual to me. That sounds like corporate and shared. That sounds like a corporate shared experience together. To get y'all, even, even when Jesus would go off and pray, it was a rare occasion he'd be by himself. Only when he truly needed to go into the next step was he, he always took his disciples with him. Not even, y'all, we, Jesus is our example. Jesus is the image we are conforming to. If not even Jesus went to his prayer closet 24-7 by himself, then how should we live? Then how should we live? It's corporate and it's shared. Yes, get alone with Jesus. You're not always going to be with one another. But never forsake the gathering to be alone. You may think you're doing something hyper-spiritual, but in reality you're putting yourself in danger's way because there are dangers in isolation. That's good preaching, y'all. <laughs> We're connected, y'all. In the new creation, we are all brothers and sisters. In the new creation, we all share the divine nature of Abba. In the new creation, through the Holy Spirit, we are all intimately intertwined into one another through the one spirit, to the one Father that we now have access through. And I want to look at the story of Cain in the book of Genesis. And I want to look at the question he asked, and I want to look at the story more, uh, more as of an allegory than historical fact of evidence. I want to look at it as an allegory because Cain asked a question. So now that we've developed the thought of we are fully intimately connected through the Holy Spirit, I want to talk about what do these relationships now look like when it comes to how we deal with one another in the family of God. And in Genesis chapter 4, a lot of us know the story who grew up, grew up in church. Cain was mad because his sacrifice was not accepted by the father the way that Abel's was. Abel gave the right offering of an animal because he was a shepherd and tended the animals. And Cain, he grew plants. That's what he did. And so he gave of his harvest, and the Lord did not accept it. And so he's mad, and the, the father says, Cain, why are you downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? And he says, lo, behold, sin crouches at your door and wants to devour you. But he says, it's your destiny to overcome sin, foreshadowing. And so Cain is mad, and Cain goes into the field and says, hey, Abel, come with me over here, buddy. Cain's his little brother, and he takes Abel into the field, and he kills Abel. The father comes, and he says, Cain, where's your brother? Where's your brother? And Cain replies this. He says, am I my brother's keeper? And I'm going to pose that question to you. In, in the family of God, am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? And the sad fact of it is, and this is me too, many of us try not to get too involved sometimes. We don't want to get too involved either because, one, it's hard to walk with other people, and I already got enough problems on my own, so why, why do I need to deal with your problems? Or maybe, two, I don't want to be nosy. I don't want to, I don't want to step into people's business. Maybe they want to appreciate it. And many of us don't get involved because we don't want the responsibility of caring for other people. Me too. As a pastor, sometimes I'm exhausted. I don't want to care for people sometimes. It's, it's exhausting to have that responsibility. And another thing is we don't want to look guilty if they make a bad decision or do something we think will reflect badly on us. And so really we keep ourselves at a distance because we don't want the responsibility of what other people do. And so oftentimes, like Cain, 
When the father says, hey, how's your brother and your sister doing? We say, am I my brother's keeper? What, what do I have to do with their life? What do I have to do with the situation they're walking through? And if we're honest, a lot of the time we have apathy towards our brothers and our sisters. And I think Jesus does a really good job of linking another story. And it's, it's the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. Um, but it's from the perspective of the older brother. Um, the prodigal son comes home. A lot of us know this story. He comes home. And the father runs to meet him, welcomes him home, kills the fatted calf, which was like the, the choice animal. Y'all, that's some ribeye right there. That's a $40 steak right there. And so he kills the fatted calf, and they're having a celebration. And it says the brother can hear the dancing, y'all. If you can hear the dancing, you know they're turning up in there, man. It's getting crazy. They popped out the fresh wine skins. They're going crazy in there. So the older brother hears it, and he's mad because he knows. He's, he asks the servant, what's happening? And the servant tells him, your, your brother's come home. Your brother's been welcomed back into the family. And I just, in Luke 15, 18 through 30, I want to look at his, his response and then analyze it a little bit. Let's look at it, starting in verse 28. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. Isn't that just like the father, y'all? We get an attitude and the father's like, come on, man. Come on, come, come have fun with us. Come enjoy it. But he replied to his father, look, I have been slaving many years for you. And I have never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fatted calf for him. Now I want to bring this more to us in the modern day of Christianity, because now we know Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? And Jesus links this story to another big brother, because Jesus is the master rabbi, the master teacher. So he links in this mindset to the older brother. So the older brother, number one, he says this. He does not go after his brother. His brother is making a really stupid decision, and the older brother doesn't say anything to him. He's like, good riddance, more for me. Go ahead, buddy. Go ahead and take your stuff and go. So number one, he didn't even go after his brother. Did not go after his brother in the story. Number two is this. He was mad that his brother was welcomed home. He's mad. He wasn't happy his brother came back because not only was his brother welcomed home, but he was welcomed home as a son. While the older brother had never done any harm to his father and always worked hard, now they're on the same status once again. He's saying, what the heck, man? I've done more than my brother. I have not failed as much as my brother. I've not fallen as much as my brother. I'm better than my brother. And I think he was a little bit jealous that his brother got to go out with prostitutes, and he didn't. And then he was welcomed home as if nothing happened. So the brother got to do what he wished he could do and got away with it. So the brother's a little bit mad. He's like, how come he gets to come back? Number three is this. He stood in a place of judgment and not love. Instead of, wow, my brother came home. That's beautiful. He was dead and now he is alive. That's amazing. He says, no, why is he welcome back? Look at what he did, Dad. How could you welcome him back after the way he failed you, after the way he failed us as a family, after how bad that reflected the family? Our name is going to be tarnished now because of him. How could you welcome him back? He stood in a place of judgment and not love. Fourthly, he did not think it was his duty to care for his brother. He saw there would be no reason why he should care for his brother. He disassociated himself. He estranged himself from his brother. He disowned his brother. He didn't want anything to do with his brother. And if we're honest, this is the mindset of a lot of modern Christians today. Even myself at times. We become cynical. We become cynical about other believers a lot of the times and even people outside the church because of past hurt in the church and past trauma in the church. And so now we're already skeptical of everything everyone does. 
And I'm telling you, in this house, we believe in redemption in this house. I believe in second chances in this house because I know for a fact, if I got caught doing half the stuff I was doing, I'd probably be in prison or have some jail time, okay? And so I believe in redemption. I believe in redemption. I believe that the Lord can redeem any and every situation and any and every person. But oftentimes we become cynical in the church. And instead of getting excited when someone comes to the faith, mm, I don't know about that person. Mm. You know what they were doing? Did you hear where they came from? Do you hear their path? I don't know about them being in this church, man. I don't know if they'll be a good influence on my children. I just don't know about these people. And oftentimes instead of being like the father in the image of the father, we have the same mindset of Cain. Am I my brother's keeper? Hmm. God, am I? Because if you understand that question, what is he telling God? That ain't got nothing to do with me. Why are you asking me about my brother? That ain't got nothing to do with me. That's basically saying, did I stutter? Ain't got nothing to do with me. And when we position ourselves as the older brother, as Cain and the older brother as the prodigal son story, we are positioning ourselves in a place outside of the family of God. Because in the family of God, let me say something to you. You are your brother's keeper. In the family of God, there's more required than the outside. You are your brother's keeper. Now listen, there's a difference between being nosy and being helpful. Let's, let's talk about what it means to be our brother's keeper. There's a difference between being nosy and being helpful. When you're nosy, you just want to know information that's going on. For ulterior motives. <laughs> But being helpful is when you step into a situation and you genuinely lend a helping hand. How can I help you? And guess what? When they tell you, you keep your mouth shut. Listen, y'all, I've been in church long enough to be like, oh, you need some prayer. Tell me your prayer. And they tell you something intimate and then they go spread it around the whole church. Oh, this person needs prayer for this. But in reality, are you praying for them or are you spreading some gossip? There's a difference between being nosy and being helpful. There's also a difference between being concerned and being a gossip. Oh, bless their heart. Did you hear what they did? Y'all, that is the southern way of saying, that's a hot mess. Let me go tell everybody. Saying bless their heart in the south does not mean you are blessing their heart. You are judging their heart. Let's be honest here. So the fact of the matter is there's a difference between being concerned and being a gossip. Concern also usually happens between two people talking about a situation, not you and A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, and a P. It's not like that. And so we, when we step into a place of being our brother's keeper, we have to understand it's not about knowing information. It's not about spreading information. It's about walking through intimate areas of people's lives through hardship and pain and trauma. Many of you in here lost a spouse in the past couple of years, and I was very encouraged to see how this church came alongside you and walked with you. Because that is a very intimate, painful situation. I've never experienced it. I praise God I never do. But I've seen you walk through those journeys. And that is where the faith family steps in. Not to be nosy. Not to be a gossip, but to step in genuinely concerned and with a helpful hand. So we have to be careful in the church because gossip is widespread way too often than not. We are meant to stand in a place of love and mercy, not criticism and judgment. Now this is hard because we live in the social media era where everything is critiqued, everything is judged, everything. How many likes did you get? How many shares did you get? If it's not good enough, it's not good enough. If you're not pretty enough, you don't get this. We live in the social media era where everything is judged. Everything is judged. Everything is criticized. Every church is criticized. Their pastor doesn't speak well enough. Their music isn't fast enough. Their music isn't slow enough. We live in the judgment and criticism era. But when we are in the family of God, our first response should always be number one is love and number two is mercy. Why? Because that's how Jesus always responds to you. 
Jesus does not respond with judgment and criticism. It's always love and mercy. And through his love and mercy are we transformed to be what we were made to be. Galatians 6, verses 1 through 2. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. We are responsible to our brothers and sisters, not for them. They will decide what they do, but it is up to you to lead, to guide, and to love them. We are responsible to one another. And the problem a lot of the times is in the American church, we, we wipe our hands clean of any responsibility of one another. That's just not how it works in the body of Christ. Listen, my finger is responsible for the rest of this body. If my finger detaches itself from myself, I'm going to feel the pain and the hurt of what that feels like. And I've seen people try to operate without fingers, and it is almost impossible to do so, okay? So the fact of the matter is we cannot disband ourselves from one another. In, in this Christian walk, it's not isolated and individual. It's corporate and shared. James 2, 12 through 13, speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James 5, 19 through 20. My brothers and sisters, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. In the family of God, we truly are our brother's keeper. Let's look at Jesus' example before we close. The example of Jesus in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19, Jesus has resurrected. He's come back to the disciples. And there happens to be Peter. Anyone who knows the story, we know three days earlier, Peter had abandoned Jesus. He had turned his back on Jesus. He had fled from Jesus. And it says that Jesus met his eyes and it says Peter wept bitterly. Peter was broken. And so three days, Peter still broken over what he had done. Peter failed Jesus. How many of y'all ever failed Jesus? Let's not go point fingers at Peter now. Peter ain't worse than all of us. We've probably done the same thing. And so Peter is broken. Peter has failed. Peter thinks there's no forgiveness for him. He betrayed Jesus. It's over. And here comes Jesus. So Jesus goes and he sits down with him. And he asks Peter three sets of questions. He says, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me as these? Peter says, Lord, you know. He replies, Lord, you know. And he says, then take care of my sheep. Tend my flock. And so what Jesus could have done is Jesus could have left Peter in his guilt and shame. Jesus could have let Peter wallow in it. Because, I mean, y'all, we, we, we want people to pay when they betray us. We're like, they get what they deserve. Look what they did to me. How much more so the Messiah, betraying the Messiah, but that's not what the Messiah does. Jesus could have let Peter destroy himself because of his remorse. Anyone ever had a guilty conscience that just ate you up? And if you had no closure, it would have probably killed you. Let's be honest, y'all, guilty conscience is, oh my gosh, that thing can eat you up if there is no closure. Jesus could have removed Peter from his inner circle. Jesus could have said, Peter, I'm coming back to take the, the 10 now because Judas gone. 
I'll take my 10 disciples and we'll go, Peter, you're out of here, man. You're not welcome in my innermost intimate circle anymore. But Jesus knew that he was his brother's keeper. Jesus not only forgave Peter, but he put Peter in charge of the sheep, the flock, the church. And Jesus reassures Peter that his love for him has not changed. Jesus restores Peter in a spirit of gentleness and love, not anger and judgment. Because Jesus understood this. Family is worth the time and the effort and oftentimes the heartache. So Jesus could have left Peter in his current state. But Jesus knew in the family of God, I am my brother's keeper. Will you please stand with me?